our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your hosts, Sam and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. I am so excited for this week's episode. For most episodes, like I'll do my research and then look over it and then look over it again. But this one, I've just been like combing through, like it is my dissertation for my PhD. I've been reading this like I'm about to present a thesis and... I'm going to have a jury in front of me quizzing me on my work. I've been listening to album after album. My Spotify is just filled with the woman of the hour, I feel like we can call her. The woman of the 20th century. Well, this week we are deciding to shake things up a little bit and have a little conversation about Riri and women in general and how Riri Hana became a billionaire because it's clearly not done just through her music. And in the world and in the time of streaming services, Spotify in particular, music artists don't actually make as much money as they used to. I mean, we used to pay $1.22 for every song on iTunes that has changed. CDs used to be like $30 that has changed. So a lot of musicians and influential people in the music space have diversified their world. And so I wanted to talk about exactly how Rihanna got to her journey. We'll start from the beginning. We'll go through her net worth sort of year by year, decade by decade, and we'll see what she did that got her to where she is. I'm just so excited to find out. I'm ready. I'm ready. Now, before we get into the episode, we want to thank our season sponsor, Rentap. Paying rent is a hassle, but what if we told you there's an easier and more straightforward way? Meet Rentap, your ultimate rent paying sidekick. No more ATM trips, no more checks, and no more app juggling. RentApp deposits your rent directly into your landlord's account hassle-free. Plus, it's free to you and your landlord doesn't need an account either. But here's the kick. RentApp doesn't just stop at rent. They're all about helping you build a brighter financial future. There's even an option to report rent payments to boost your credit score, making home ownership more achievable. For our GTI listeners, we've got an exclusive deal. Use our referral link rent.app/gti for $50 cash back on your first rent payment. Ready to simplify? Check out the referral link in the description or head over to rent.app 
slash GTI and make rent a breeze. Do you know Rihanna was the first music video I'd ever seen in my life, like her umbrella music video, and that was because you sent it to me? <laughs> That's what my parents thought was controversial as well. I made my mum watch it with me and she was like, but then again, like Bollywood music and those music scenes, some of them, you know, they're dancing around in the water and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit raunchy, is it not? What's different to Rihanna doing it? What's the difference between wearing a crop top and like a sari top? That's wet. That's wet. Yeah, what is? Oh, I was asking. Well, there we go. <laughs> there we bloody go. I think we're just, <laughs> our parents are going to listen to us and be like, why do our kids have beef with us? And they're like late 20s. <laughs> I love you, mom. So, Riri, how did she rise to fame? How did she make her money? Where did she come from? Let's just begin on the 20th of February, 1998. Rihanna did not have an easy start to her life. Her full name is actually Robin Rihanna Fenty. Interesting, Fenty being her surname, because we'll get into why. She wasn't really an academic. She grew up in Barbados and she said, I did not love school. It can feel like a grind, especially when you'd rather be singing, playing sports, or doing pretty much anything else than homework. She had quite a sort of tumultuous household. Her father, she recalled, hit her when she was seven. She walked onto her parents smoking things that they maybe shouldn't have been when she was just nine years old. And she witnessed her mum and dad have quite an abusive relationship over the years. She said in 2013, it was painful to watch your mum go through certain things. I really learned a lot. And by the time she was 16, she left school. She was staying at home to take care of her siblings. But one thing about Rihanna that really stood out to me is she seems like quite a go-getter, like she's quite proactive. And so she started a girl group with her two friends in 2004, and they just started creating songs, making plays, making music. And in 2004, she attracted the attention of Evan Rogers, who's an American record producer, and he helped Rihanna create a demo that then led to an audition with the rapper Jay-Z. And if you have any interest in pop culture, you'll know that Jay-Z at the time headed the Def Jam's record label. So he was actually the one that signed Riri as just the sort of new girl on the block. And so she actually auditioned when she was 16 years old. See, some people are just bold. They have the confidence to know what talent that they hold and the power that they have. And that's exactly what happens when you believe in yourself at such a young age. She wasn't going to take no for an answer, and I really feel that. It also just makes me so happy because, like, she kind of explained, like, she wasn't an academic. She didn't enjoy school. She didn't have good grades. And it makes you think, like, someone that doesn't have the drive in academia, does it mean they don't have the drive in other areas of their life? I think it's such a misconception that we get taught, like, oh, well, if you can't do your times tables, you can't succeed, full stop. Yeah. And I feel like when she was coming up and when she was a kid, I feel like those ideals were the standard. Like there was no pushing those boundaries. I feel like in 2023, we can see all the vast different things that people can do and how accessible it is to do from your bedroom, cough, GTI, starting up in a bedroom. So yeah, I feel like when she was pushing back when she did, 
It speaks to her power. One thing that will surprise a lot of people, because when we see Rihanna now, especially if you didn't grow up listening to her music or didn't really see the journey, you would have assumed that for her to be a billionaire in 2023, she was probably making hundreds of millions of dollars from the get-go. Like you'd probably assume that she was doing really well for herself. So remember her demo came out in 2004. By 2011, do you want to guess how much she was making per year? For context, Drake in 2011 was making 30 million annually. 10. Okay, that's actually worse. She was making 15 million per year, which is half of Drake, which is so interesting because she was so much bigger than that man at the same time. I just feel like Drake in my head, I know he's had album after album and he's been around for a while, but sometimes I forget how long he's been around because in comparison to Rihanna, I'm like, she's such a veteran. Mm. And then there's Drake who in my head is newer to the game in 2011. At this point, I feel like I knew him off Degrassi, you know? That's very true. I mean, it's just so interesting because, look, she started in 2004. In 2008, she had her first Grammy. In 2013 and 14, she took the crown for Best Music Video of the Year in the Grammys, Billboard Music Charts, Top Rated R&B, Top R&B Song, Top R&B Album. She was the International Female Artist of the Year. She had BAT Awards, Best Female Pop Artist, Grammy Awards for Best Urban Contemporary Album. Like This is just a few accolades that she had, and she made $15 million in 2011. And so you might be wondering, well, how do artists make money usually through the music industry? It's not always the songs itself. Tours bring in a lot of money, album sales, of course, but it's mainly actually collaborations with other brands that continue to grow their wealth. So if you think about it, you've probably seen like back in the day, artists and songwriters and actors, they would be like, hey, I'm the ambassador for XYZ. And that was usually where the big bucks came in. And now you might be wondering, she has quite possibly the most successful music career ever. She's at the peak of her success in the music industry. I feel like a lot of people wonder and question why she decided to transition into business, into all of these seemingly random things to maybe someone that's not a keen observer of Rihanna and follows her every move like we are. Well, it all started when she, behind everyone's backs, decided to register the trademark for Fenty Beauty. This was back in 2014. No one was looking at Rihanna in the makeup game. You know, we were happy looking at beauty YouTubers using their Maybelline, using their Wet n Wild. You know, no one knew that she was doing this. And I think a lot of people don't know this as well. They think that Rihanna and Fenty Beauty started like maybe Kylie Cosmetics did online. That's actually not what happened because she's so well known and because she's so successful and her reputation of her work ethic and how powerful she is. And, you know, she's topping lists for fashion. She actually partnered with LVMH. And for those of you who don't know, it stands for Monet, Hennessy, Louis Vuitton. They are a luxury goods company. And by partnering with LVMH off the bat, they had access to launch Fenty Beauty globally. And I think 
Taking a step back in terms of why she even wanted to launch Fenty Beauty, this girl has been in makeup chairs and around beauty and in front of cameras and fashion and music videos for the longest time. She really had time to perfect formula foundations, figure out what she liked, but more importantly, she wanted to create an inclusive beauty brand. She started Fenty Beauty in 2017. In my head, she's been around forever, but it was 2017 when they first launched, and off the bat, they had over 50 to 60 different foundation shades and that was unheard of back then when I'm telling you as a brown girl the only foundation options I had was MAC and I feel like every brown girl got matched to MAC NC42 despite us having different undertones and different shades of brown she kind of fixed a lot of problems for people who are my skin tone, darker than me, but even lighter than me, and the lightest and darkest shade and everything in between. And she perfected that. And she was able to do that because she kept quiet before the launch as well. I feel like she wasn't like running her mouth every which way, but she really took time to perfect it before she launched. She had her partnership with LVMH. And by 2018, with her music and with Fenty Beauty combined, she was worth $210 million. By 2023, she is now worth $1.4 billion. And since then, she has launched things like Savage X Fenty, which is a lingerie company. She's expanded Fenty Beauty with Fenty Skin. She's dipped her toe in a lot of different things. And she really does remind me of those celebrities that you don't even see them move. She just appears in an industry that you didn't think that she would. And yeah. It's quite interesting how she transitioned into business, though, like to start off with doing brand deals with other companies like Puma and Fenty in 2014 to then turn that into, okay, no, let me do my own thing. Let's like move away from just doing things for people and using my name for people to moving into Fenty Beauty is just such chef's kiss. And then what ended up happening off the back of the success of Fenty Beauty, she realized that she wanted to diversify. So first she's diversified from her industry of music and gone into products, realized that makeup products and skincare products have done well. She didn't stop there. I feel like anyone would be like, you know what? Fenty Beauty's kind of kicking it. She decided in 2018, so four years later, to create another joint venture. So it seems like her business model is never to say, I know everything. I'm going to start it myself. I'm going to have it under my umbrella of all my Fenty companies. In the same way that she joined the first brand to launch Fenty Beauty, she joined a co-venture with Textile Fashion Group, who are a company based in California. They basically, in their name, help create clothing companies. Their investors include people like Jay-Z. And she went on to create Savage X Fenty, taking the earnings that she had made from her music and acting career and the money that she had made from Fenty Beauty. But this is where it gets really interesting. They decided that they were not going to put any money into marketing it because they weren't really sure if the idea would work. They weren't sure if they needed to be a lingerie line. And so they weren't just relying on the fact that Rihanna is popular and people like her. So they decided to make it 
an online-only brand opposite to what she did with her beauty brand. They pre-launched it completely on her Instagram account only, and the website launched on May 11, 2018. Then they did a little pop-up store in Brooklyn, New York, just to open it for two days, just to see if people liked it. Within a month of launching, the debut collection sold out. And so by testing it out online, putting no money to marketing it, and to just have like a two-day pop-up store that then they like extended for a month to see how people found it, they decided that it was worth it and they were going to invest into it further. So three years from then, 2021, again, they didn't use their own money. They decided to raise money to get into retail. They raised a cool $115 million, hit around $150 million in sales in 2021, and then decided only in 2022, so a few years from the beginning of its launch, to actually go into retail properly and have their own brick and mortar stores. Brick and mortar is just a jargon way of saying like physical stores. So they decided to open their first five locations in Las Vegas, LA, Houston, Philadelphia, and Washington, DC. Isn't that so interesting that they decided to like, I would have just thought she'd been like, yeah, it's my brand. I trust it. I'm just going to put my own money into it. I know Riri has 115 mil. She's smart. I feel like Savage X Fenty off the bat again she was doing things that no other lingerie brands were doing in my opinion you had Victoria's Secret as a competitor who has one body type one type of person in their show no diversity whereas again off the bat the inclusivity and the psychological safety you feel like by watching her shows one of my favorite moments ever is when Normani of Fifth Harmony performed, like she wasn't singing, but she did this dance piece in the lingerie at her fashion show. I watched that clip. I'm embarrassed, okay? I'm embarrassed how many times I watched that clip. It was mesmerizing. And I feel like, you know, it's not a secret that influencer brand marketing and being on TikTok, being online, that's how you want to market. She just knew like ahead of the game to do all of that because she wasn't even paying for these people to do things it was an honor for you to go to her show and they made sure that they went you know she definitely did a few things differently to like separate her lingerie brand from others like obviously things like celebrating diversity body positivity they had such an inclusive line which seems to be an overarching theme across all her brands I mean that's what made Fenty Beauty so popular but she did something that was quite similar to Victoria's Secret model of business where they used star-studded fashion shows to promote it. So they had people like Gigi and Bella Hadid and Kehlani, as Sonia mentioned. But one thing that they did differently is they weren't all the same body type. So there was still some benefit by the sounds of it to have celebrities and famous people wearing her line. She also had every fashion show of her line choreographed by Paris Goebel, who is a Kiwi. We like to claim her. She's absolutely amazing. She also did her Super Bowl choreography, which was amazing. So it just kind of goes to show 
she's used her status as a business powerhouse to diversify away from makeup and skincare, and that led her 2021 net worth to become a cool $600 million. But how did she get from there to being a billionaire in 2023? It's kind of just on the expansion of what she'd already done, diving deep into the brands that she had and keeping focus. She did not then create like Fenty eye products, Fenty shoe products, Fenty besides under her line, she didn't diversify too far. And it was almost this perfect alignment of, I've heard someone say this before, you go two centimeters wide, but a hundred centimeters deep. Like you don't expand too far out of your range of products and services, but you get really good at doing a few things really well. And saying that, She has reached billionaire status. That does not come without some controversies. That does not come without some criticism. So what has Riri done, Sonia? My thing is, is that she's been making headlines since the start. I don't think she's known for being hides how she feels. And I feel like even if she didn't have all these businesses and you know, billionaire status, I feel like people will find something to say about her. But with that being said, she's actually faced a few criticisms and controversies since she started Fenty Beauty. I think namingly she's been called out for the names of particular shades. Like she's called the highlighter shade Geisha Chic, which a lot of people felt was insensitive and offensive. Kim Kardashian went through the same thing when she was starting her company Skims. It was originally called Kimono, but- That was such a bad name. (laughs) They changed it because they listened to the feedback and the outrage. Skims still went on to do well. It's the same with Rihanna. They pulled and changed that name as well. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increase revenue, expanded reach and enhance customer experience. It's a win, win, win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Another thing that she actually has been repeatedly accused of is cultural appropriation. So when Fenty Beauty first launched, they used an Islamic headed. Yeah, it refers to what most Muslims and the mainstream schools of Islamic thought believe to be a record of words and actions and silent approval of their prophet. And she used that in one of her fashion shows. And a lot of people had things to say, and rightfully so, you know, you can't really 
not follow that religion and use Islamic phrases during the show without any correlation to what she was doing. She actually released a statement on her Instagram story after that because she was heavily criticized for playing it. And it was during a lingerie show as well. And she apologized for her honest yet careless mistake. She thanked the Muslim community for pointing out the huge oversight, which was unintentionally offensive. She doesn't play with any disrespect towards God or religion, and therefore she apologized for the use in her project. Because, yeah, she's also been asked to leave a mosque because she had a photo shoot at Abu Dhabi's Sheikh Zayd Grand Mosque, which is like the really beautiful white you know, mosque. She had a photo shoot and there was like a lot of inappropriate pictures that were clicked at the spot. And she had just performed a concert at Abu Dhabi and that made (laughs) a lot of headlines. You know, I think we can acknowledge that Fenty Beauty and her brands and the way that she approaches business and the success that she has, she's a trailblazer. I think it's authentic the way that her passion for inclusivity and accountability comes across, but she's also been the center of pretty intense discourse. And listen, I'm not black. I am an Indian woman, so I can't speak on it too much, but it is black capitalism and whether her billionaire status is actually a win for the black community. And, you know, there's levels to it in terms of their opinions and what she represents. So I'm not here to say that should mean one thing or another. I do think that she's been pretty vocal in her just love from being an island girl and being from Barbados. And I don't think she's a performative person. She doesn't say things just to say things. I think if she's apologizing for something or a part of discourse, and you see her interview clips that go viral of her being asked really sexist questions. And she's like, oh, what a disappointing question that is. Which again, she's been scrutinized for her feminism. I think a lot of people have had different things to say about how she presents herself as a woman, how many fingers she's inserting into the pie for different ventures. People are like, okay, you've done enough. You can take a back seat. And I think you get to a point where no matter what you do, it will be criticized. And I think she definitely has reached that point of even performing at the Super Bowl there was so much uproar of like now she's perpetuating that all pregnant women when she's like six months pregnant with a toddler at home have to work xyz whereas others saw that as an inspiration as a debut like look at what she did look at the performance that she did so I think the girl's gonna catch some flack no matter what Listen, her criticism and people's opinions of her and how she does business and what she does in business, it's valid. I'm not here to tell people not to feel a particular way. I do want to give her credit when credit is due in terms of how she carries herself. And she's kind of transitioned now into, you know, she's had a second child. She's with ASAP Rocky. They did that beautiful family Vogue cover shoot. I think, dare I say it, can women have it all? No, again. Yeah. She's also got so many resources and people that work for her and nannies and not saying that she has a nanny, but I'm just saying that she has access to a lot of different things. And 
she's a billionaire doing all of this. She's not struggling, you know? I don't think we can. I don't think anyone can. That's what I mean. Like maybe if you have access to people that cook literally every meal for you, that pick up your kids, that you're able to like have personal trainers and blah, blah, blah. But that's for another day. (laughs) Can women have it all? Maybe if you're a billionaire, that could be the next topic of discussion. It does make you wonder and a lot of people start asking, well, you know, off the back of that, off the back of, you know, the conversation around is it ethical to be a billionaire? How much does Rihanna or other people give back or invest into? We did a deep dive into some of her philanthropy work and we got a few numbers. And one thing that was quite consistent overall is she has been from day one someone that has quite openly and happily contributed all the way back from 2012. She gave almost $2 million to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Barbados in memory of her grandmother. As time went on in 2016, she gave $50,000 scholarships across students in the Caribbean to attend college in the US. As time went on in 2017, the Harvard Foundation's Humanitarian Award was given to her for all of her efforts in 2016. She gave $25 million to the Global Partnerships for Education to again support education in developing countries. In 2020, she donated quite a bit. She did $22 million with her foundation to obviously help with the COVID response. She did $2 million with, at the time, CEO of Twitter, Jack. They put money down to help domestic violence victims during the COVID pandemic. She gave $5 million for COVID-19 relief efforts with things around critical protective gear. $15 million, again, with Jack to mental health services and food banks in Chicago. And she just seems to spread her money far and wide. How much is enough to give, though? I think when someone's a billionaire, when do you say, okay, $20 million is fantastic, but $20 million is also, I see the discourse a lot, especially online, where it becomes a question of, well, that's like $20 for us. And should we be praising billionaires for giving the equivalent of $20 to other organizations? And just in my personal, humble opinion, I think the people receiving those grants, if someone receives $20 million to their foundation to help feed homeless people or to help during a COVID-19 crisis, I don't think those people are going to be unthankful that someone only gave a small percentage of their wealth as opposed to that's $20 million that we didn't have before to begin with. It gets people this argument about what is ethical, what's not ethical, how much is enough, like what are they doing? Because sometimes I, I'm not going to lie, I do get a little bit, I wouldn't say annoyed or angry, but it makes me feel a certain type of way, more uncomfortable when a celebrity who's worth millions and millions and millions and at a billionaire status is posting like a GoFundMe for other people to donate. You talk about Kylie Jenner when she was like, hey, my makeup artist Ariel can you give them money on the GoFundMe? It's like, girl, you're the billionaire. Did you do that recently, though? Yes. It was during oh. billionaire status. <laughs> I was like, this is probably before she started, like, Kylie Cosmetics and stuff. Oh, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> She's giving, like, zero dollars. Okay, that's fine. You know, I it's not fine, but I think it's an interesting discussion. 
I think what gets people is the, I guess, income equality. Like when you compare it, this is actually like $10, $20 to us that they're giving in the thousands. But I was going to say, who am I the judge? <laughs> and here I am judging. Yeah, it was in 2021, Kylie Jenner asked her audience to contribute to a makeup artist's GoFundMe. She gave $5,000 herself and the fans were like, why are you asking this of us? And she was like, it's not my makeup artist, but I just thought, I, I don't know. It just it just gets a little bit funny. It just gets a little bit funny because it's like, well, do you want to just put in the effort of doing it yourself, but then how much is too much to give? And I don't know. I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of should rich people that are billionaires give like 50% of their net worth to a foundation. So I feel like that's probably a good place to wrap this up. This has been an interesting episode. I feel like I learned so much about how Rihanna grew her wealth. I mean, start off in one industry, then to jump into another, to diversify within products and services. More importantly, the impact that all these moves made on her money to go from making $15 million a year to go from having a net worth of $0 when she was born in 1998 to growing into $100 million to $600 million by 2021 and then over a billion dollars by 2023. It shows me three things. It shows that diversification is important, which we can all take away. It shows partnership over trying to do it all yourself. And more importantly, it shows that wealth seems to grow a hell of a lot faster in shorter time frames when you're further along, like 600 million to a billion dollars in just three years. And yet it's obviously not as easy to relate it to our own experiences, but people often say, you know, the first 100K is the hardest. Once you get that, then it gets easier. The first $1,000 is the hardest. The first $10,000 is the hardest. As you continue to grow your investments or grow your wealth or even just grow your savings account with compound interest, whether that's in your business or the investments that you've made, it just seems to get easier as time goes on, which It's nice to see on a much larger scale, but for the everyday person who is listening in, it just blows my mind. Now, Sonia, if you were Riri, do you think this is the time where she should sell everything and then just go into financial independence, retire early and call it a day? I think she's there with what she's done. You don't think she gets royalties on her music? Girl hasn't put out an album in years. That's what people have been begging for. And she just keeps doing like these other ventures. And now I feel like she's deliberately not doing it. She's comfortable, you know? She's a mama. And I think I say that and I bring that up because she's made it very clear that that's important to her. And that is something that she does want to prioritize. I don't say it because she has to, but it's something that she has been very vocal about in terms of her values. So I think she's in that position now. It'll be interesting to watch her and see how things change in the years ahead. But yeah. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, it's a little bit different from what we usually do, having a deep dive into a billionaire. So if you want more of these, just let us know, send us a DM or email us at hello at girlsandinvest.com. We love to just create interesting content that keeps you engaged that makes you feel like you're learning something gives you a laugh or two in the middle of it is always nice so let us know what you think and we'll see you next week and as always to finish off with the disclaimer 
Skillset Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. Always do your research and please do your due diligence.